Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. We have times of tribulation in our lives when we try to ignore this scripture, or we think it means something, or, for, or maybe it's for someone else. Our lives are full of struggles. Does this mean that we're to rejoice when we are hurting, broken, dejected, and sorrowful? When we go through trials and testing? Okay, imagine yourself as a chunk of iron, and God is the blacksmith. The blacksmith grabs that chunk of iron with sharp tongs. Ouch! Those tongs hurt and pinch. Then he shoves that piece under the hot coals to heat it up white hot. So you then say, what are you doing, God? That's hot. Then he puts it on the anvil and starts beating it with his hammer. You say, ouch, that hurts. What are you, why are you beating me? Then he douses it in icy water. You exclaim, hey, that's cold. What are you doing that to me? Then he removes what used to be this formless chunk of iron, which has now been shaped into a nail, fit for the master's use. Rejoice? Yes? Hello, and welcome to God's Word for You for today, from Liberty Lake Church. This is part three in the series called First Peter, Victorious Christian Living Through Suffering. We'll look at several scriptures today, so take out your Bible and open it to First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and follow along with Pastor Shane Fries as he walks us through the idea of rejoicing through trials in the session titled, Faith During Refinement. Kids rock, your kids you're dismissed, and you may be seated. Man, you guys are like ahead of me. That's awesome. Jerry, thank you for the reminder this morning. I really appreciated that. That is good stuff. Would you guys agree with me that it's good to laugh together? Man, I I, I think I think we need to take seriously the admonitions uh, from Scripture to rejoice and to praise the Lord. We're going to take a minute and look at some of that today uh, in our text. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. We're, uh, we're going to be uh, working on verse 6 today, uh, but I'd like to read the entire passage um, again just to help keep us in context of where we're at and uh, remind us of, of what God's doing. So would you join with me, James chapter, or not James, I'm on another text, First Peter. We're going to get there in a minute, don't you worry about that. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith 
more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love him, though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels desire to look into these things. One of the reasons I, I, I like reading the text is it helps us. It helps to remind us of what we've uh, what we're going to look at in the passage. And if if you notice in this in verse six, it says in verse six it says you rejoice in this. Though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials. What are we rejoicing in? In the text, what are we rejoicing in? Salvation, in our salvation, absolutely. And Paul specifically gives us two things to look at, a living hope and an inheritance. Something that gives us hope in the midst of life and inheritance, a promise that is to be fulfilled and, and that we're going to uh, uh, find the reality to and revealed in the last times. This is something that brings our eyes off of ourselves. How many of us are good at rejoicing? You know, generally speaking, I think the church is pretty poor at it. We're good at celebrating certain events, right? You, if your team wins in a sporting event and you're a sports guy, you really, you, we celebrate. We get a little ridiculous. Um, I, I was uh, at a football party a couple of years back, and the host uh, broke her chair, one of her dining room chairs, because as the team was going down to score, she found herself standing on the top of the chair, jumping up and down. Now, I need to share with you, this host was not 20 years old. She was rejoicing over an, a moment in a football game. Uh, other people, we rejoice over other things. Um, I was thinking about this in the announcement of Todd's grandchild that's coming. Do we rejoice over that when, when there's celebrations of birth in our homes, in our lives? Absolutely we do. Um, probably one of the greatest celebrations that I got to experience in the last year was... Um, the memorial service for one of my good buddies, Jack Meredith. I only knew him for a very, very short time. And yet he, his life was such a celebration. It was an amazing time. Do we rejoice well as a church? Um, I remember sitting in one of the services, and uh, it, it doesn't matter which one. It was just, there was a particular service, and there was testimony given about people coming to know the Lord. And it was almost that quiet. Yay. What are we rejoicing in? Where does our joy come from? If it's not eternal, if it's not what God is doing, then I think our eyes are on the wrong stuff. Brothers and sisters, we need to rejoice in the Lord. Paul's reminding this, uh, uh, or not Paul, Peter. I'm going to look at some of Paul's writings today too. Um. But Peter is reminding us of this today. 
I'm going to admit to you again, we're not going to cover everything that's in this text. I keep getting overwhelmed as I'm going through the process and it, keep, it just keeps building on itself. So if there's a, if there's a point in this, you're like, well, that we could do more in there. You're right, because we could. And I would encourage you to do, take that time in your study um, to do this. But I love how Peter challenges us. He says, you rejoice in this. We rejoice in this hope, in this living hope that we have, this inheritance, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials. And he references to the, the genuineness of your faith. And then he gives us a qualification of what this faith is, the, the value of the faith may result in praise, glory, and honor. Now, do we like struggling? I would testify to you that I do not like struggling. I do not see it as Peter is challenging us to see it here. In fact, he and his buddy James, both, I think, by God's design, conspired against my humanness in this area. Because look at what James says in chapter 1. We all know it, right? Have we, most of us have read James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it great joy, my brothers, Whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I like Peter's encouragement that it's for a short time. What's a short time? Do remember last week we talked about children's view as it takes forever to do anything? Birthdays, Christmases, anything they want is like never going to happen. It takes forever. As we grow in our experience in life and we mature, we find that life speeds up, right? We get to a point in our lives where we look back. My, my bride and I were doing this the other day and we went, we have one child left in the home at 17 years old. And he rarely wants to be with us. Um... Because he's got a job and friends and he's running around and he's busy. Do you know it just seems like yesterday? I, I, I look at the pictures and I'm like, that was not long ago. It seems like just yesterday, all four of them were in the house driving me nuts. And today I miss that because it's happened so quick. When we think of a short time in, in, our, in our situations of trials and sufferings, uh, we tend to not agree with the author here with Peter that it's actually short. But when we get our eyes up on God and to eternal things, it is a very short time. And it's for a very good reason. I love what um, the my uh, uh, dic concise dictionary on Greek and Hebrew words says about this idea of various trials. Uh, I think this will be up on your board. You might want to write it down. Uh, it is a putting to proof, and, and I love the, the way that they describe this. Look real careful here at how they describe this putting to proof. Um, by experiment of good, experience of evil, solicitation, discipline, or provocation. Now, so if we take by experiment of good, what would, you what would you think of as an experiment of good? Have we ever thought about the good things in our lives or could be part of the putting to proof that God does for our hearts? Um, RAV4 maybe? A blessing that could, that could be putting to proof or testing a faith, somebody's uh, humility, humbleness, gratefulness. 
Is it possible that some of the good things in our lives are part of what God's intending for us to exercise our faith in? And he's using it to reveal in our own hearts the selfishness and the um, self-focused aspects that come from prosperity. Has that happened in our country at all? What a prosperous and great place we live. And yet conversion is at its is the lowest nationwide in the United States. Christian conversion. It's one of the lowest in the world. I think somebody did, I can't remember what the number was, it's some in the hundreds of thousands of dollars per conversion that the church pays for Christians. Now, that sounds horrible, but they take the tithe, they take what churches bring in, and they've deducted that or uh, divided it by how many people profess to have uh, made a conversion to Christ. And they say the American church, it costs somewhere in the hundreds of thousands of dollars per Christian. Isn't that amazing? Experiment of good can sometimes be really, really difficult to remain faithful, to rejoice and celebrate. Are we grateful when we're in good times? Yes, most of the time. And shortly after that, we forget that God is the one that authored it. I don't know if you have the privilege. I'm, I'm reading through the Old Testament. I think I did. I share with you guys. I'm reading through. I just finished Judges again, and I I don't like the Book of Judges. Um, and and I'm I'm just confessing to you, not not because it's not uh, well written. Uh, it's because it reveals the blackness of the human heart. And it is so depressing to me to watch how repeatedly uh, the Jews just go up and down, up and down, up and down, out of idolatry, back into idolatry, out of idolatry, back, oh Lord, save, it's just up and down and harming one another. And yet, as we read through the text, what you see happen in Judges is that when things are bad, the Israelites turn to God. When things are good, they turn to idols every time. It's unbelievable to me. And yet, then when I look at my own life, I see the same thing. Experiment of good is a great challenge. Experience of evil. I, I think many of us can associate things that would qualify as that. Uh, those things we would always agree. That's absolutely a trial. Solicitation. Uh, something that is, is offering you a, re, a, a benefit or something in return for your money or time. We would call them a temptation. Is that a trial? Are those challenges? Absolutely. We can see that as well. And then he says discipline or provocation. I like how he puts those together because I'm sure at some point when we're being disciplined, we think we're being provoked. No? Nobody else struggles with that? <laughs> there are times where I am not happy about this. So do you see the various trials in your life as a great opportunity for growth? <laughs> I, I mean, that's what, that's what both of them are saying. That's what Peter and James are both saying. Look, you guys, we should be celebrating in this because God's using this to produce in us the outcome of our faith. He is on a path to take us to, to righteousness and take us into his character. This is great news. The various trials that you experience are good news. <laughs> that is so hard for us to get our heads around and to rejoice in. 
It requires us to surrender our own hearts to, to give this up, to give up our ideas of what we think should be happening. Um, he, he says that the purpose of this putting to proof, the reason Peter says is that he's testing or revealing the genuineness of our faith. Look at Isaiah 48.10. I thought this was kind of fun. And as you guys know, I, I love to find any time that the New Testament is sharing something, if I can find it referenced in the Old Testament, I like to go and get it. Isaiah 48.10. Here Israel is in captivity to Babylon and God's saying that, that all of this is happening and, and at some point he's withheld his judgment and it's for their good because they're in discipline. And he says, look, I have, in uh, 48.10, he says, look, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. This is not new to the church. This is not a specific plan that he's put us on. It's always been his plan for developing his people. To remove our eyes off of idolatry and off of the other things that we worship and to put them back on God himself. And he's good at it. Because we're in such great need of it. And it's who he is and it's part of his plan. I hope you can celebrate that. Can, can we see this and say, praise the Lord. Now, I know it's difficult to do when the things aren't going well. I, I testified to that last week. I had a, I, the, the RAV4 thing, you, we all laugh about it and I confessed it. But aren't we all at some point in our lives looking at something in our hearts and going, God, I don't deserve that. Don't we at some point have that view, whether it's an insult, a, a thorn in the flesh, a car that we drive, a, a physical illness, a loss of a loved one? I don't deserve that. It is so hard, I think, is, at least it is for me, to keep my eyes on God in those moments and to celebrate Him for the purposes that He's accomplishing. The fun part is, is that he is so faithful, he tells us in advance that this is what he's going to do. We don't have to be surprised by it. We don't have to doubt that he's being faithful. We can look at this and say, yep, he's right on track. He said he's going to do it, and he's doing it. The purpose of all of this, Peter reminds us, the purpose of all of this, the, the refinement, and I, I'm bypassing the refinement by gold, and it's because I just don't have time to look at this, but you need to know, I, if, if you have time, Google it, look up a, 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 an Old Testament gold refinement process and do some research. It's a phenomenal thing, the amount of time and effort and uh, uh, scientific work that they did and preciseness that they did to refine gold. It's a long process. You don't just cook it once and wipe it off. Although we would love to have microwave Christianity, God didn't design it that way. This is a very precise process that if you do it wrong, it destroys the value of the person or product being refined. He says that this may result in praise, glory, and honor at Christ's return, His revelation. Brothers and sisters, our life process is specifically designed to glorify God. That is a truth that needs to permeate my heart and my life so that as I look at life situations, I can say, God, this is for your glory, right? Do you know King David was really good at that? I don't know, if you ever read through the Psalms, he's really good at saying, uh, Lord, 
I know this is who you said you are. I believe it. But what's this? Help me to understand what you're doing. Help me. Show up. I love how he talks to the Lord. I, would, I think it would be good for us to remember that at times. Can I share with you, uh, he says that uh, in this process that even though we don't see him, we love him. And, and though we don't see him now, we believe and we rejoice. And uh, I want to turn to John chapter 14, if you would, in, in your Bibles. I just got to share with you, I almost left a mistake in this morning because I got here and I started going through my sermon text. And there was a passage in there that didn't make any sense. And I have no idea how that happens, but God does that to me every now and then. I've like interchanged a number. And so this morning I was panicked. I was running through looking, what, what, what was I thinking? And I grabbed this passage because it fits. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm just, I'm, I'm confessing. I found this this morning because uh, I was, I was a little lost, but we, we need to see what this love is. I don't know if you guys struggle with this, but there's times where I have a hard time saying, I love you, Lord. Now, here's the reason why. Because when I look at how my life matches what I believe that statement to mean, I struggle with them not blending well. When I say that I love my wife, I want that to mean that I'm doing everything in my life points to the truth of that love. That at no point can she question whether or not I love her. I sacrifice my time. I sacrifice my desires. I give up all of those. That sounds grand, doesn't it? That's what I want to live like. And when it comes to saying that to God, I oftentimes recognize that it's not really the truth. That I have to confess selfish attitudes. I have to confess selfish worship of my time. And I struggle to say, Lord, I love you because I think many, many, many times my life reflects the opposite of that. I love shame. And I want it to be I love you. And so I struggle with that love. And in, this, in, in the process, I found, uh, as I was wrestling through uh, the text on this, I found a definition of love that really helped me to get a hold of this. And um, this is actually out of the, um, the Logos Study Bible, and it, it's, a, it's a part of the tool there that helps to understand the sense of the language. What, what did they mean when they said this? Um, look in John chapter 14, 23 through 24. Jesus answers them and says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. So when we think of love, do we really exercise love in the way that that text says? I would say that we want to. We don't always uh, keep his word flawlessly. We really struggle with this. But look at this definition uh, for love. Here in, in, I think it'll be up on the, oh, it, it's almost there. To have a strong non-sexual affection and love for a person and their good is understood by God's moral character. And this is the part that I really, really appreciate, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. One of the things that grabbed me, this willing forfeiture of rights or privilege in another person's behalf, as I think about what it means to come under the hand of God, to surrender to Him and say, God, your plan is best for me. That means the various trials that I experience are by your plan and your glory, they're best for me. 
that that's the kind of love I need. The kind of love that forfeits my rights, my privileges to say, God, I'm coming under your plan. I will surrender to your will. I got to be honest with you. I was trying to wrestle with my heart this week and say, man, I think I could love like that. <laughs> I just think it's surrendering too. I bet you didn't guess that at all, did you? This is hard to do. And yet the various trials and the challenges that we experience oftentimes help to bring us to our knees so that we're in the position to actually look up to our Father and see Him for who He is. It's so many, many times in my life that it's when I'm struggling the most that God gets the, I have the best view of God. What a gracious God it is that doesn't leave us in our comforts, doesn't leave us in our apathy and complacency, but He builds for us into our life and creates opportunities for growth that our eyes would come back to Him. What a gracious and great God we serve. Look at Matthew 28, verse 8. Um, he says that because of all of these things, these suffering and these trials and this love that we have, that we're going to actually uh, rejoice in inexpressible joy. Did you see that? He says, and though not seeing him, in the middle of verse 8, and though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Matthew 28, 8 says this. So, and this is again the, the resurrection morning, the disciples have come and and. Uh, or actually, actually, the women are at the at the grave, and they've seen the the empty tomb. And the angel appears to them and, and sends them back. And so, departing quickly in verse eight, so departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Can you imagine the joy of that moment? Can you can you dream with me for just a little bit? The the, the probably one of the most important people in their lives, the one that they were following, the one that they were, that they were giving up their lives to follow and pursue, the, the one that they saw as the Messiah, the Redeemer of their, of their country, of their people. He was the one that was to rescue them from all of the, the Roman oppression and all the misery and, and all of these things. And he was executed. And three, years late, three days later, the promise that he made was fulfilled. And he's not there. And an angel shows up and sends them to go tell the disciples. Can you imagine the joy? I love how it's mixed with fear. Did you see that? They were kind of mixed up emotionally. That's a little scary, but woohoo! He's not here. And they run back to tell him. When we think about this idea of inexpressible and glorious joy, I think we have a hard time getting our heads around that. What is inexpressible and glorious joy for us? We have so few things in this life that even shock us anymore. Things that we celebrate. I, I, I'll be, you know, Sally and I, we moved up to Enius Valley. And uh, our first uh, three to six months was in a 24-foot RV without a bathroom. And we had solar power and we were cooking on a gas grill outside. 
uh, up in Enos Valley with four boys in a 24-foot RV. Now, for some of us guys, we're like, that's just camping. After a few months, camping loses its appeal. I'm just telling you. It's, it's not all it's cracked up to be after a few months. So we got this great upgrade. We got a 1901 homesteaded cabin that came pre-supplied with pack rats and rattlesnakes. That was an upgrade. Now I'm telling you, we were celebrating right up until midwinter. We could see outside through some of the holes. And so on one of our nights at 50 degrees, it was 30 below outside. We were taking shifts, getting up to keep one of the stoves going. We had a fireplace downstairs and we had a wood cook stove. And my bride and I were taking shifts to get up every two hours because we both had to work the next day to try and keep the house at 50 degrees. Was not feeling as grateful. Inexpressible was probably involved, but it wasn't connected to joy. And we had different seasons. Uh, we, we were without a septic tank at that same place for almost a year. And my boys and I would go out and scoop the stuff out of the tank so that my bride could have an indoor shower and bathroom because the outhouse they had was dysfunctional. What, what, what is in our lives that creates inexpressible and glorious joy? You guys, we have such a hard time seeing this, partly because I believe we view God as being just barely above our human concept of understanding. We see Him as being just a little bit above us, a little bit beyond our reach. We don't see Him as being a star-breathing God. The God that spoke everything we know into existence. A God that lives outside of time and that because of His plan has orchestrated a path that takes us from our wretchedness to His holiness. And it's through a process that we'd never plan ourselves. Inexpressible joy comes, I don't believe, because we see circumstances in our lives that we celebrate but it's because we have a view of a living hope and an inheritance that cannot be touched, cannot be damaged or ruined by any aspect of this life, but it's guarded by God in heaven, prepared for us to be revealed at the last time. That is where our focus needs to be. That is the truth that sets us free from the bondage of the concerns of this life and gives us the opportunity and the joy to speak about it in every setting. I love Jerry's comment, if they're breathing, I'm talking. Let's take a view, let's take a look at the truth of who God says He is and who He says we are and practice rejoicing in that truth this week as we consider what it means to be His children alive today and living daily in His plan that results in our salvation. What a glorious God we serve. Father, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for Your opportunities for growth. God, would You continue as You faithfully do 
to conform, to confront, to transform my view of who you are. To help me rightly view my own character and my own heart. That God, when we see the devastation, when we see the distance between who we are and who you are, that it would cause us to rejoice, that it would cause us to celebrate, that it would cause us to give you glory and praise and honor. Father, may the world know that the children of God who live and abide here at Liberty Lake are overflowing with your grace and your joy and your truth, that it changes how we live every day of our lives. Let that be what they see, is you living in us. Thank you for all that you're doing, God. Take all the glory this morning. It all belongs to you. May your name be praised forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message from Liberty Lake Church in Liberty Lake, Washington. Our pastor, our elders, and our prayer watch team are available to pray with you or to answer any questions you may have. Contact us through www.LibertyLakeChurch.com or follow us on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you and welcome any comments you may have. As always, we appreciate your prayer support. Join us next week on God's Word for You for Today for another message from Liberty Lake Church. Thank you again, and God bless.